0: Chapter Fifteen of Linda Tressel by Anthony Trollope. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Simon Evers. Chapter Fifteen. All January had passed by; that thirtieth of January had come and gone, which was to have made Linda Tressel a bride, and Linda was still Linda Tressel. But her troubles were not therefore over, and Peter Steinmark was once again her suitor. It may be remembered how he had reviled her in her aunt's presence, how he had reminded her of her indiscretion, and how he had then rejected her. But nevertheless, in the first week of February, he was again her suitor. Madame had passed a very troubled and uneasy month. Though she was minded to take her niece's part when Linda was so ungenerously attacked by the man whom she had warmed in the bosom of her family, still she was most unwilling that Linda should triumph. Her feminine instincts prompted her to take Linda's part on the spur of the moment, as similar instincts had prompted Tetchen to do the same thing. But hardly the less on that account did she feel that it was still her duty to persevere with that process of crushing by which all human vanity was to be pressed out of Linda's heart. Peter Steinmark had misbehaved himself grossly, had appeared at that last interview in a guise which could not have made him fascinating to any young woman. But on that account the merit of submitting to him would be so much the greater. There could hardly be any moral sackcloth and ashes too coarse and too bitter for the correction of a sinful mind in this world, but for the special correction of a mind sinful as Linda's had been, marriage with such a man as Peter Steinmark would be sackcloth and ashes of the most salutary kind. The objection which Linda would feel for the man would be the exact antidote to the poison with which he had been infected by the influence of the evil one. Madame Starbeck acknowledged, when she was asked the question, that a woman should love her husband, but she would always go on to describe this required love as a feeling which would spring from a dutiful submission. She was of opinion that a virtuous child would love his parent, that a virtuous servant would love her mistress, that a virtuous woman would love her husband, even in spite of austere severity on the part of him or her who might be in authority. When, therefore, Linda would refer to what had taken place in the parlour, and would ask whether it were possible that she should love a man who had ill-used her so grossly, Madame Stourback would reply as though love and forgiveness were one and the same thing. It was Linda's duty to pardon the ill-usage, and to kiss the rod that had smitten her. "'I hate him so deeply that my blood curdles at the sight of him,' Linda had replied. Then Madame Stourbecker prayed that her niece's heart might be softened, and had called upon Linda to just join her in these prayers. Poor Linda had felt herself compelled to go down upon her knees and submit herself to such a prayer as well as she was able. Could she have enfranchised her mind altogether from the trammels of belief in her aunt's peculiar religion, she might have escaped from the waters which seemed from day to day to be closing over her head. But this was not within her power." She asked herself no questions as to the truth of these convictions. The doctrine had been taught to her from her youth upwards, and she had not realised the fact that she possessed any power of rejecting it. She would tell herself, and that frequently, that to her religion held out no comfort, that she was not of the elect, that manifestly she was a castaway, and that therefore there could be no reason why she should endure unnecessary torments in this life. With such impressions on her mind she had suffered herself to be taken from her aunt's house and carried off by her lover to Augsburg. With such impressions strong upon her, she would not hesitate to declare her hatred for the man whom, in truth, she hated with all her heart, but whom, nevertheless, she thought it was wicked to hate. She daily told herself that she was one given up by herself to Satan. But yet, when summoned to her aunt's prayers, when asked to kneel and implore her Lord and Saviour to soften her own heart, so to soften it that she might become a submissive wife to Peter Steinmark, she would comply, because she still believed that such were the sacrifices which a true religion demanded. But there was no comfort to her in her religion. Alas! alas! let her turn herself which way she might. There was no comfort to be found on any side." At the end of the first week in February, no renewed promise of assent had been extracted from Linda, but Peter, who was made of stuff less stern, had been gradually brought round to see that he had been wrong. Madame Starbuck had, in the first instance, obtained the cooperation of Hermolch and others of the leading city magistrates. The question of Linda's marriage had become quite a city matter. She had been indiscreet; that was acknowledged. As to the amount of her indiscretion different people, had different opinions. In the opinion of her mulk, that was a thing that did not signify. Linda Tressel was the daughter of a city officer who had been much respected. Her father's successor in that office was just the man who ought to be her husband. Of course, he was a little old and rusty. But then Linda had been indiscreet. Linda had not only been indiscreet, but her indiscretion had been, so to say, very public, She had run away from the city in the middle of the night with a young man, with a young man known to be a scamp and a rebel. It must be acknowledged that indiscretion could hardly go beyond this. But then, was there not the Red House to make things even, and was it not acknowledged on all sides that Peter Steinmark was very rusty? The magistrates had made up their minds that the bargain was a just one, and, as it had been made, they thought that it should be carried out when peter complained of further indiscretion on the part of linda and pointed out that he was manifestly absolved from his contract by her continued misconduct her went to work with most demure diligence collected all the evidence examined all the parties and explained to peter that linda had not misbehaved herself since the contract had last been ratified peter my dear friend said the burgomaster you have no right to go back to anything to anything that happened before the twenty-third the 23rd was the day on which Peter had expressed his pardon for the great indiscretion of the elopement. "'Since that time there has been no breach of trust on her part. I have examined all the parties, Peter.' It was in vain that Stymark tried to show that he was entitled to be absolved because Linda had said that she hated him. Her Malk did not lose above an hour or two "'in explaining to him that little amenities of that kind "'were to be held as compensated in full "'by the possession of the Red House. "'And then, had it not been acknowledged "'that he was very rusty, "'a man naturally to be hated by a young woman "'who had shown that she had a preference for a young lover.' "'Oh, bah!' said Herod Malk, almost angry at this folly. "'Do not let me hear anything more about that, Peter.' "'Steinmark had been convinced.' had assented, and was now ready to accept the hand of his bride. Nothing more had been heard of Ludovic since the day on which he had come to the house, and had disappeared. Hermulk, when he was interrogated on the subject, would shake his head, but in truth Hermulk knew nothing. It was the fact that Valkam, after being confined in prison of Augsburg for three days, had been discharged by the city magistrates, and it was the case also, though the fact was not generally known, that the city magistrates of Augsburg had declared the city magistrates of Nuremberg to be geese. Ludwig Valkarm was not now in prison, but he had left Nuremberg, and no one knew whither he was gone. The brewers, Satch, by whom he had been employed, professed that they knew nothing respecting him. But then, as Hermalk declared, the two brothers, Satch, were men who ought themselves to be in prison. They too were rebels, according to Hermalk. But in truth, as regarded Linda, no trouble need have been taken in inquiring after Ludovic. She made no inquiry respecting him. She would not even listen to Tetchen when Tetchen would suggest this or that mode of ascertaining where he might be. She had allowed herself to be reconciled to Tetchen because Tetchen had taken her part against Peter Steinmark, but she would submit to no intrigue at the old woman's instance. I do not want to see him ever again, Tetchen. But Fräulein, you loved him. "'Yes, and I do. But of what use is such love? I could do him no good. If he were there, opposite where he used to be, I would not cross the river to him.' "'I hope, my dear, that it mayn't be so with you always. That's all,' Tetchen had said. But Linda had no vestige of such hope at her heart. The journey to Augsburg had been to her the cause of too much agony, and filled her with too real a sense of maidenly shame.' To enable her to look forward with hope to any adventure in which Ludovic should have to take a part. To escape from Peter Steiermark, whether by death, or illness, or flight, or sullen refusal, but to escape from him, let the cost to herself be what it might, that was all that she now desired. But she thought that escape was not possible to her. She was coming at last to believe that she would have to stand up in the church and give her hand. If it were so, all Nuremberg should ring with the tragedy of their nuptials. Since Peter had returned, and expressed to Madame Starback his willingness to go on with the marriage, he had, after a fashion, been again taken into that lady's favour. He had behaved very badly, but a fault repented was a fault to be forgiven. "'I'm sorry that there was a rumpus, Madame Starback,' he had said, but you see that there is so much to put a man's back up when a girl runs away with a man in the middle of the night, you know. Peter, the widow had replied, interrupting him, that need not be discussed again. The wickedness of the human heart is so deep that it cannot be fathomed. But we have the word of the Lord to show us that no sinner is too vile to be forgiven. What you said in your anger was cruel and unmanly, but it has been pardoned. Then Peter sat down and lighted his pipe. He did not like the tone of his friend's remarks, but he knew well that there was nothing to be gained by discussing such matters with Madame Starbeck. It was better for him to take his old seat quietly, and at once to light his pipe. Linda, on that occasion, and on many others subsequently, came and sat in the room, and there would be almost absolute silence. There might be a question asked about the household, and Linda would answer it, Or Peter might remark that such a one among the small city dealers had been fined before the magistrates for some petty breach of the city's laws. But of conversation there was none, and Peter never on these evenings addressed himself specially to Linda. It was quite understood that she was to undergo persuasion, not from Peter, but from her aunt. About the middle of February her aunt made her last attack on poor Linda, For days before, something had been said daily. Some word had been spoken in which Madame Staubach alluded to the match as an affair which would certainly be brought about sooner or later. And there were prayers daily for the softening of Linda's heart. And it was understood that every one in the house was supposed to be living under some special cloud of God's anger, till Linda's consent should have been given. Madame Staubach had declared, during the ecstasy of her devotion, that not only she herself, but even Tetchen also, would become the prey of Satan if Linda did not relent. Linda had almost acknowledged to herself that she was in the act of bringing eternal destruction on all those around her by her obstinacy. However, oh, she could only herself be dead! Let the eternal consequences as they regarded herself alone be what they might! Linda, said her aunt, is it not time at length that you should give us an answer? "'An answer, Aunt Charlotte?' "'As if she had not given a sufficiency of answers. "'Do you not see how others suffer because of your obstinacy?' "'It is not my doing.' "'It is your doing. "'Do not allow any such thought as that to get into your mind, "'and assist the devil in closing the door of your heart. "'They who are your friends are bound to you, "'and cannot separate themselves from you.' "'Who are my friends?' "'I am sorry you should ask that question, Linda.' "'I have no friends.' "'Linda, that is ungrateful to God, and thankless. "'I say nothing of myself.' "'You are my friend, but no one else.' Hermulk is your friend, and has shown himself to be so. "'Jacob Heiser is your friend.' He too, using such wisdom as he possessed, had recommended Linda to take the husband provided for her. "'Peter Steinmark is your friend.' "'No, he is not,' said Linda. "'That is very wicked, heinously wicked.' whereupon Madame Starbeck went towards the door for the purpose of bolting it, and Linda knew that this was preparatory to a prayer. Linda felt that it was impossible that she should fall on her knees and attempt to pray at this moment. What was the use of it? Sooner or later she must yield. She had no weapon with which to carry on the battle, whereas her aunt was always armed. Aunt Charlotte, she said suddenly, I will do what you want, only not now, not quite yet. Let there be time for me to make myself ready for it? The dreaded visitation of that special prayer was at any rate arrested, and Madame Starbuck graciously accepted Linda's assent as sufficient quittance, at any rate, for the evil words that had been spoken on that occasion. She was too wise to demand a more gracious acquiescence, and did not say a word then even in opposition to the earnest request which had been made for delay. She kissed her niece, and rejoiced as the woman rejoiced who had swept diligently and had found her lost peace. If Linda would at last take the right path, all former deviations from it should be as nothing. And Madame Starbeck half-trusted, almost thought, that it could not be that that her prayers should prevail at last. Linda, indeed, had twice before assented, and had twice retracted her word. But there had been causes. The young man had come, and had prevailed, who surely would not come again, and who surely, if coming, would not prevail. And then Peter himself had misbehaved. It must now be Madame Staubach's care that there should arise no further stumbling-block. There were but two modes of taking this care at her disposal. She could watch Linda all the day, and she could reiterate her prayers with renewed diligence. On neither point would she be found lacking. "'And when shall be the happy day?' said Peter." On the occasion of his visit to the parlour subsequent to the scene which had just been described, Madame Stierbeck left the room for a while, so that the two lovers might be together. Peter had been warned that it would be so, and had prepared, no doubt, his little speech. "'There will be no happy day,' said Linda. "'Don't say that, my dear. I do say it. There will be no happy day for you or for me.' "'But we must fix a day, you know,' said Peter." I will arrange it with my aunt.' Then Linda got up and left the room. Peter Steinmark attempted no further conversation with her, nor did Madame Steinbeck again endeavour to create any intercourse between them. It must come after marriage. It was clearly to her God's will that these two people should be married, and she could not but be right to leave the result to his wisdom. A day was named. With a simple nod of her head Linda agreed that she would become Peter's wife on the fifteenth of March, and she received visits from Mulk and from Jacob Heiser, to congratulate her on her coming happiness. End of Chapter Fifteen.